Well, hey, Chris. Hey, John. It's Tuesday morning. I kind of feel like talking about a television show that I watched last night. Would you like to join me? Uh, Please say yes. Please say yes. Okay. Let's do it. So what did you watch last night? Um, I watched three episodes of The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Okay. I watched um, uh, uh, Better Call Saul. Anything else? So, yes, we're going to talk about episode seven of season three of Better Call Saul. This was an episode called Expenses, written and directed by Thomas Schnauz. Schnauz. The uh, Better Call Saul writer slash director's name, who I think we have the most fun saying, Schnauz. Makes you happy. I think it, in a weird way, was kind of just a second place-setting episode of, of a sort. Like, it reminded me of last week's in that there were all these very compelling moments and compelling scenes, but it still feels like something that is bringing us towards something that we can feel coming on the horizon, more so than something huge and momentous on the order of, say, Jimmy breaking into Chuck's house or Chuck's meltdown on the stand. Yeah, I liked it. I had fun. It had some some good stuff in there, but I'm also like you, and I think any continuous show like that, you're going to have plenty of episodes that just uh, are setting up the... Uh, bigger story points to come. You have to you have to set up all the uh, dominoes so that they can fall. And if last week the bombshell in a transitional episode was something to do with just seeing the name Saul Goodman being used for the first time, I would say that this week's bombshell was also something confined to the final moments of the show, where we see a further step for Jimmy towards the cynicism that we know he later embodies as Saul Goodman. Yeah. But we'll get to Jimmy in a minute. Let's talk a little bit about the other players in the story first. The most sensible person, I think, to start with would be Price, the pharmaceutical company guy who has been in the past embroiled with Nacho and sort of seemed like a guy who was lucky to escape his caper with with his life intact. And now we see him being brought back into it because Nacho needs him, which is a direct follow-up of one of the big mysteries we had last week, which was what's the next step for Nacho's seemingly obvious plot to kill Hector or take him out of commission somehow. I'm glad he's back. Uh, Daniel Wormold, the pharmacist who attempted to name himself Price, but I don't think it worked. I think he he gave up on that um, <laughs> because the criminals, you know, didn't respect it. He was like, okay, forget it. Um, but uh, I'm glad he's back. I like that actor. I like that character, the inept would-be criminal uh seems to sort of embody this world but uh uh i don't know what's gonna come of it i think you know we might be done with him it just it, it may be that this is all we needed to uh set up nacho with the with the capsules and that uh he'll be gone again for a while i still feel like him coming back introduces him as a character who might better have gotten out of town or stayed away i just worry that there is going to be some sort of price, I know that sounds like I meant for that to be wordplay, but it's not, but some kind of price for him to pay for just being in this position and being a guy who's not equipped to be in this position. Yep. And for making a mistake again of getting into it somehow. Right. And it's hard to know, like, was his was was his head turned by the 20,000 or did he just really think what I was beginning to think, which is you kind of say yes to Nacho Varga if he comes to you in your home like that. You don't say no if you're if you're Wormald. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. You're going to feel you have no choice unless you like you said, the you know, the smart thing might have been to 
get out of town and start life over or something back, you know, after the whole uh, uh, squat cobbler incident was was over. But since he didn't do that, you know, he's holding on to hope that I can keep living my life. And then when Nacho comes, you say, I guess I have to do whatever I'm told here. Uh, it's, you know, it's either that or, or, or die. Right. When Nacho says 20K, if you do it. Right. And that would turn your head some more. Certainly the greed would, would make you say, well, okay. But 20K, if you do it, implies, and if you don't, well, dot, 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 let's not even consider that. Right. So to this to this guy, I, I saw, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to see Price, and I do think maybe he's just part of the tapestry of colorful, funny characters that we have in this world, and, and that he's just part of the, the, the scene in the sense that, you know, when Mike needs to talk to somebody, he goes through the crooked vet. Well, when Nacho needs something involving pharmaceuticals, he calls his old buddy Price from before. Yeah. And because of the nature of him, he's going to seem like a poor fit for the characters he's interacting with as usual, but it doesn't necessarily mean that his life is endangered at this point. You're right. It could be deal done and we're fine. Yeah, right. Um, I did think it was funny that he had so many locks and alarms on his place. Clearly, he's taken precautions since the last time we saw him to make sure that his place was safe. Right. And that it didn't stop Nacho from coming in. <laughs> did not work. Again, He he's more naive than he thinks he is. Getting entangled with Nacho drives him to realize he probably needs some help, and he remembers how last time it worked out well that he went with Mike. Mike did right by him in terms of the, the scheme that they were involved in. So he does go to Mike, and Mike has this, I, I don't know, I would say kind of predictable denial of the request at first. I, you wouldn't expect Mike to just jump right on it, but some part of me was saying Mike's going to end up helping this guy whether he wants to or not. And I enjoyed the way that came around, the way that the uh, the, the storyline brought us back to a situation where we can see why Mike would help Price. Yeah, as just a way to get back to Nacho, right? To just, to, okay, I can, I can take the $3,000 and have a meeting with Nacho, who now all of a sudden something came up. I want to see him. What is it that you think came up that he wants to speak to Nacho about? You're right. It's not 100% clear, but I thought it was pretty clear to me. It seemed that as soon as he found out about the widow's husband's disappearance— um, that he got on the case as a police officer. He got out his little notebook, in his mind anyway, and said, okay, the, this is a cold case I can try to help this woman with. And this guy disappeared in the desert. There's probably something fishy, and uh, uh, maybe uh, Nacho knows something about this. And I thought that was I thought that theory to me was borne out by the, by the fact that when he ends the scene with Nacho, he says one more thing and pulls out his little notebook, and just like a cop is about to start taking notes, you know? The reason I asked you to clarify is because that was where 50% of my mind went, was that the widow made him think of a thing that he needed to get in touch with Nacho, and maybe he could use Price to get to Nacho. But I also thought that when, and we keep calling her the widow, but she's Anita, who um, last week was in the survivor's support group that Stacy and Mike were part of, and I thought it was strange that a recognizable actress would be in a, in a non-speaking role. So I sort of thought, oh, she must be coming back. So this week when she walked up to Mike and basically said, how can I help with the construction of the playground? I was not surprised at all. Oh, that character's back. I didn't think they would they would cast someone that recognizable and have her be a, an extra, basically. Mm -hmm. So she tells the story to Mike, and she talks about how this person is gone, and you just would like to know what happened to them, you know? 
uh, even though it shouldn't matter. You'd like to know what the answer to their fate was. So yes, very clearly, Mike is is thinking of her when he goes outside. But a part of me wondered if if maybe he also wasn't picturing uh, what could happen to a nitwit like Price if he gets caught up with the wrong guys without someone there to help him out, that Price would be someone like that who disappears mm. and you would just never know what had happened to him, yeah. you know? like. Yeah. And then it also made me think about the fact that as far as anyone who was part of Mike's life when he died in Breaking Bad, they wouldn't have known what became of him. They wouldn't have known what happened to him either. Right. That revelation seemed like a particularly significant one, even though it could have been just as simple as, yes, he gives him the motivation to now get in touch with Nacho. But a part, a part of me thinks that's a little too pat if someone disappeared years ago and he just assumes Nacho would know something about it. Eh, that feels a little like the world is too small, if that's the case. And the reason I wasn't as sure until I saw him pull out the notebook with Nacho was I, you know, I, I mused to myself, I wonder if when she named that desert, uh, you know, if that uh, sort of put a pin in the map of like, that's the same area where Hector's little shack is out there where I aimed my gun at him, you know, or something like that. And that, that we as very astute viewers are supposed to know, oh yes, that's the spot, you know, but uh, it didn't ring a bell with me. I, I do agree that all signs point to yes, that that is part of Mike's motivation. Yeah. Because otherwise, what was the deal with the procedural cop behavior of, now I've got some questions for you. Right. But I do think it's significant that in that storyline, we saw Mike have a pretty unambiguous smile as he was walking away from Anita at mm -hmm. one point. Mm -hmm. And I think it's significant that we saw that Stacy sort of has noticed that those two are talking to each other and she seems to be pleased. So there was definitely some kind of heartwarming, sweet stuff involved in Mike's plotline. Maybe he's trying to integrate this side of him that is trying to walk the straight and narrow and be a grandfather and be just a regular guy, but he doesn't, he can't pretend he doesn't know who might know something about a disappearance in the desert. Right. Right. I think he just has that instinct still in him. He's he's a he's a policeman and when he meets someone he kind of likes even if he met him 3 days ago and then had a 5 minute conversation with him and they say I have a, a a cold case here. I don't know what to do with. He can't help but go I'll work on it. This episode for me was kind of an eye opener as to just how out of his league Nacho might be, in the sense that maybe he's rushing this plan because uh, he feels that time is of the essence, you know, stopping Hector from getting his fingers into his dad's business. So obviously that is a little bit of a ticking clock. Right, right. It does seem like Mike was trying to let Nacho get a little bit more of the big picture that he is aware of. Right. He said there are more people than the Salamancas to worry about here. Right. And I think that it's interesting to think that Nacho might not have been hip to that. I feel like Nacho knows all about Gus, but doesn't know all about Gus's gas cap trick, you know? So that's where this was, he he could have educated him and almost did, but didn't, you know, he didn't say everything he was he was thinking. But I wondered about the uh, advice Mike gives Nacho, you know, uh, change the pills back in case anybody looks into this. Yeah. At, on the face of it, that seems like very good advice. Like, yeah, think... Think three moves ahead and really cover all your cover your butt completely. Um, but if you know if somebody like caught you changing the pills back, uh, then you're in trouble bigger than you might have been if if they weren't going to look in the first place. You know, so that could uh, have a sad consequence for Nacho. Well, what I thought would would remedy that would be putting um, 
putting one pill in the mix. Right, and that's what I thought that he was going to do, but I think now that he wants to change all the pills because he wants this to happen as soon as possible because he's afraid that if you know if it if it takes 3 months to get around to that pill, it'll be too late for his dad. Clearly they had that line and Mike said it a couple times, switch him back, you know, the way he said it, it was one of those great simple lines that become sort of momentarily iconic when you're watching one of these shows, this and Breaking Bad where you go, okay, switch him back. We're going to remember that he said that because there's going to be a point where we're going to see that Nacho is is having to do that. Right, or is trying to do it or whatever. The moment where he trips up maybe will be when he's trying to switch it back. So we, we don't know how that's going to come into play down the road. When Price said he wasn't going to make the same mistakes this time, Mike said, if you don't want to make the same mistakes, then don't get involved with whatever it is you're getting involved with. You know, Mike's advice is very pragmatic, and he really does sort of think, well, in Price's case, he has no business being anywhere near this. And with Nacho's case, he's thinking like, I could help this guy a little bit with some of the big picture that maybe he's not seeing. You're right. Nacho has to be aware of Gus, obviously, but I just mean the fact that Gus has his tendrils out and that he's maneuvering something into play. And really what I feel like Mike was saying to Nacho in that instance was, you don't realize how you taking Hector out is messing up someone else's plan who doesn't want to have their plan messed up. And even aside from that, just to say, well, you're going to, you know, you you kill a drug boss, there's other drug bosses who... uh, are going to cause problems for other people. You know, you, you you start problems as much as stopping them when you when you do this. But interestingly, we didn't see any Gus this week, even though we felt his presence. Well, we didn't get to Chuck either. We didn't have any Chuck, right. If we see Mike a little bit closer to being a guy who might take a hit job or something of that nature, I think we see Jimmy being a little bit closer to uh, just saying fuck it all and conning the world as Saul Goodman. Right. So I think there's one major question that we can address in the Jimmy plotline. I want to just kind of think about this issue of Jimmy's likability, his rootability versus his his kind of whiny sense of entitlement. This episode to me seemed like a real tipping point as far as are we going to ultimately be able to sympathize with Jimmy or are we going to be disappointed in Jimmy? And if we are disappointed in Jimmy, then our focal point for the show as far as a rooting interest, it kind of turns into Kim, (laughs) you know, she kind of becomes the character that we can get behind. And Jimmy is someone who we can slowly feel peeling away from us. The show was not interested in, in letting us enjoy the aftermath of Chuck's takedown at all. You know, maybe we spent that literal half a scene last week where they were popping a bottle of bubbly. And since then, it's been dealing with the consequences and the fallout. And in this episode, you can really see how Kim's in a different place than Jimmy with regards to what they did. Well, and they underline that twice with Kim. First, first she comes out and snaps a page and says, uh, I feel like we attacked a, a, a sick man or whatever she says. She says... Uh, as far as I'm concerned, all we did was tear down a sick man. Right. And then uh, she uh, expresses again, or we can we can tell, you know, certainly late in the episode with Jimmy when they're out, that, that she's just really not feeling great about what happened with Chuck. And she's seeing uh, that Jimmy just seems more and more cold and closed off about it. And uh, so, yeah, we're starting to see a little schism between between the two of their attitudes. Right. And it's played out on uh, Ray Seahorn's face, who I think she's always had these great 
reactions. She's one of those actors that does a really good job of, without overselling it, of showing the inner life of the character. Her eyes, everything she does is like she goes through all those little micro mm-hmm. adjustments that you go through in your own mind, but you see it on her face. Mm-hmm. And I think that she does a great job with that, which makes her subtle playing of this sort of falling out of love with Jimmy a little bit while she watches him, you know, mm-hmm. um, We've all felt that. We've all done that maybe o- over a long period of time with someone. We've worn them down to the point where may- maybe they they don't uh, love us any less, but they admire us a little bit less. Right. <laughs> you know? Yes. And that scene was so well done where he uh, is getting deeper and deeper into when they're out and, and he is talking about the plan. Here's here's what let's do to this this jerk who totally deserves it. And he goes out of focus and the fa- the camera just stays on her reaction she's in focus mm-hmm. and he just turns more and more mean and wolfish and just seems like he's he's becoming a monster in this moment and she's seeing it and i thought that was that was really delicious you see her almost not bring up the subject of how they should feel about chuck right and we've seen through the whole episode that jimmy is on a different trajectory than she is as far as how things are going and he's carrying on appearances he doesn't want her to worry which again is very thoughtful in a way but it's also part of his ability to sort of tell himself as long as he can keep that con going for five more minutes he can push it into the success range and he can he won't be lying to her about being able to cover things he won't be maxing out his credit cards picking up chinese food and all that kind of stuff so he's doing things that she really would not require him to do and she probably would be there for him and trying to help him Right. But he's keeping it a secret. So there is something about his pride not wanting to reach out that is is part of the hustle and the, the resourcefulness we like, but that can curdle into him clearly feeling like he's on an island and he's alone. And I, I mean, I think that it's apparent that his feelings for Kim are sincere and he really does love her. But I think that there's so little about Jimmy that we can say for sure is sincere and that doesn't go away when the chips are down, you know, whatever we like about him, there's a part of him that if it came down to it, he would stab you in the back. He would rip you off, you know? Um, And I think that Kim has to be wrestling with that, even though a part of me wishes the show was going to let us have a little more fun with them kind of arm in arm, kicking ass and taking names. Uh, As we've discussed in weeks past, we don't need to belabor it. Obviously they have different things in store for us than, than the Saul Goodman wins every case every week of you know show that we we might have wanted to see um it's so yeah it is playing much more like a tragedy increasingly like a tragedy but i liked the way you mentioned the scene with Paige as compared to the scene with jimmy because when she says it to Paige, it's a little bit like she's unburdening herself she's confessing something she would never say to jimmy she would never put it in those stark terms that as far as she's concerned all they did was tear down a sick man. Yeah. Like, she's not finding any joy in it. In right. a weird way, it's like Paige and Jimmy should talk because Paige would love to hear Jimmy's take and Jimmy would love to hear someone who doesn't like Chuck. <laughs> That's right. Like, marveling at it. So really, you know, she should just say, Paige, you and Jimmy should chat for a while and get yeah. it out of your systems, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Kim could go sit with Mike, who doesn't want to talk about anything, you know. <laughs> right. Doesn't want to gossip. This is a good fanfic episode. You should you should write this for, for next week. As much as I like sweet, upbeat Jimmy... Um, I think the show shouldn't walk it back and shouldn't turn around and make him too likable and cozy. At least not. We've got three episodes left in the season. I feel like we need to ride this train, you know? Yeah. We need to see where it goes. So if that's the case, I don't like the idea that he just pushes Kim away more and more with his, as you said, kind of wolfish, bitter, hardened behavior. But if that's where they're going, I've, I started to think, where could the little moments of grace be for this character? Whereas in the past, we've seen this 
feeling that he does care about these clients and he does have these little oddball people that he associates with that he kind of are part of his little ad hoc family. I was thinking, where would the heartwarming stuff come from? And I thought maybe it will be heartwarming to see the Mikes and the Gusses start to show grudging respect for Jimmy's wiliness as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. That like that's where the glory is for him at this point is in proving himself to these other guys. But that the people who he's been trying to prove himself to, Kim and Chuck, I don't think that they're destined to like him anymore as the story goes along. Right, and anybody that he can um, help helps him find his good side and helps us enjoy him for being good in that moment, even if he's helping a crook or something, you can say, hooray, he's using his his competence to uh, make somebody's life better. So, yeah, that may be where he takes so much pleasure in, in, in becoming a criminal lawyer at some point in the future is if he doesn't have uh, Chuck or Kim to, to uh, root for him anymore. That's the, the way that he can do good, in quotes, in, in the world. Even though at this point, surely even Jimmy is aware that he's pushing those people away, you know, that there could be some reconciliation with Chuck if he was really pure-heartedly wanting that. He could keep Kim's love by, I mean, just looking for legitimate work, you know? I mean, it's sad that he, what seemed like a winning scheme at the end of last week is actually something where this week he's scrambling. You know, it was fun and entertaining and funny to see those scenes, those moments, him wheeling and dealing. All that stuff was was delightful in a way. But he's scrambling and there's something so desperate about it and it's not working out. I mean, at the end of last week, I thought maybe we would be in a world where he would be running around doing these commercials and kind of running a hustle that was working. But from the beginning of this episode, nothing's working. He's not even getting full credit for the for the hours of community service that he's been doing. So right. he's losing ground in just about every path that he's on. Right. But I don't think he sees yet that he's losing uh, Kim. He he hasn't noticed uh, if she's uh, – well, I mean, he knows she, she's she's disappointed, but, he you know, he doesn't see the the break we're talking about as, as clearly as we see it. He still feels like he can think his way out of it, you know, and he can kind of scramble his way out of it. Right. It would be interesting to see if Kim's downfall or if her storyline for the season or if her general plot went in a direction where she wasn't rebounding from something Jimmy did or reacting to something Jimmy did or paying the price for something Jimmy did, but doing something on her own that may even cause trouble for herself. And we may yet see that. I think that we're running the risk of Kim being like a person who never puts a foot wrong in terms of our affections. And I guess maybe we can say her fuck up was in letting Jimmy in or associating herself with Jimmy. And maybe that really is where they're going. But my only disappointment with the fact that we're already in the sort of toxic fallout from what they did with Chuck is that I feel like we are turning Kim into, I don't know, a character who doesn't want to be on the show that she's on. And I guess maybe we're just going to see that like the tragic element of the show will just extend itself to that. At some point she just won't be able to vouch for Jimmy but right. I wonder if she becomes a little bit less fun and interesting as a character to watch when you see that that's where she inevitably has to go. So I hope that she has some some swerve or some move we're not predicting that could take that character into a place where she's not just the, more or less, as cool as Kim is, the sort of disapproving character who's not going to be part of the storyline at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think she always will stay active as a character, but yeah, she she won't always stay on board with the shenanigans probably and so yeah you're right that's going to make her less fun but i think i feel like this little uh schism we're seeing this you know she's her confidence in jimmy 
being right is is faltering and that that to me just seems to say okay yeah totally get ready in an upcoming episode you know there could be yet another moment when jimmy uh needs her support and she won't have his back because at some point she's gonna say okay i i don't agree with what we're trying to do here so uh leave me out of it and that would be a huge huge break how likable does Jimmy need to be for us to want to watch his story? Um, I mean, Jimmy was a zero on the Walter White scale this week in terms of the links he went to. He was still just very, very small time in terms of the damage he was doing. But the scene with Kim was disquieting. And then to see him at that insurance company in that meeting with, uh, I didn't catch the lady's name, but a scene that takes us through a full tour of, you know, some things that we kind of admire about Jimmy and then holy shit, some things that we really don't like about him. And, and I ended with that feeling of this guy is ready to burn it all down because he feels like things aren't going his way. Now, admittedly, things really aren't going his way, but what an extreme reaction and what a dark turn. Yeah, I think that was spur of the moment. He, you know, he really just went in there to get his insurance fixed. But as soon as he saw that his premiums were going to go up so much based on all the rigmarole with Chuck, he lashed out and said, all right, I'm going to make sure Chuck's go up as well. And uh, and so then he entered into this, but, but uh, yeah, that was awful. But I think that to your question of uh, how despicable can he get and have us still like him, I mean, he can be unlikable and they can go on with a show like that. Uh, that's the lesson of, of Breaking Bad is that you can, you can have a... a, a a main character, a protagonist who gets so dark, uh, but if it's a good show, you'll keep watching and wondering what's going to happen and not really rooting for him anymore, but you'll still be rooting for the show, you know, and, and so uh, they can go all kinds of dark and, and, and crazy with it, but I feel like they won't completely, they won't do Walter White, you know, but but they will, uh, they definitely this week uh, gave us uh, several moments to where uh, th- that we could... Uh, worry with Jimmy how how much uh, we can like him or not. Because even when he was, uh, you know, uh, arguing with the guy for more than his 30 minutes of community service, even then I was like, yeah, but I bet he really did spend most of the time on the phone. You know, maybe he deserves an hour <laughs> out of the three, but. I don't think so. I, I, I took that. I thought, did you not notice he had two bags? That's true. And I did believe him that he had collected more than anybody else. However, I, I did also say, I don't know how much I'm on your side if you're going to argue with the guy as, as if you weren't on the phone the whole time. Right. Well, I mean, I think arguing with the guy about the phone felt like you're just holding up progress here. But the guy was being a dick. Yeah. The thing that is sort of distressing to note about Jimmy is that whereas before I thought that he had this sort of base level self-awareness, it almost seems like he's lost that. That he doesn't right. seem to realize that there needs to be a uh, a, a groundedness to his thought processes, and he do, you know he needs to be thinking about. I mean, maybe take a loss if this is really not going well. Take a loss on the money you spent on the ads and try to get a job or whatever little thing that he could be doing that would not be digging himself deeper into this hole. But because he's trying to get his way out of a jam, I think that he did put himself in the position of being sort of petulant, you know, uh, when it came to how he reacted to certain things. If, even though it still was nice to see little moments of warmth, like the uh, the makeup girl who I looked in the credits, 
I don't think the character has a name, but the makeup girl and his little film crew, she, in the last couple episodes, has had ideas that he has used. She's the one that said, why don't you make your own commercial? And then said, we need to take the bus, you know, before Jimmy decided to do those things. Yeah. So she's got good ideas, but also I felt like that was very genuine on her part to try to return the money because you can tell that she's sort of not as checked out as the sound guy and not as much of an asshole <laughs> right. as the camera guy. Right, the camera guy's totally like, I'm getting my $100 no matter what. But the admirable quality that Jimmy still has, that he always has, that we don't talk that much about, is his, uh, uh, you know, Howard nicknamed him Charlie Hustle for, uh, you know, getting a law degree in secret while he's in the mailroom. And he's al- always, Jimmy always has... Uh, schemes where it requires him to do a lot of work really hard overnight or whatever, you know, and this this episode was one of the biggest uh, Charlie Hustle episodes ever to me where he's, you know, uh, racing to the trunk of his car to clean himself up with wet ones and, and put on his, his director's outfit so he can run over and try to make a commercial in the next three hours. Yeah, I loved the little horse bath in the parking lot uh, with the wet wipes. That was great. And I also loved that his idea of what a director looks like seems to be based on like a photograph he saw of Steven Spielberg from when he made E.T. or something. I just feel like that <laughs> right. that khaki jacket with the little epaulettes in all the pockets, it just, I don't know when I saw that picture too, but somebody wore that, that get up. I think that's a true uniform that a lot of directors do wear, bulk, or have in the past anyway. It's probably starting to wear off now, but there really was a look for people. Uh, but he's gone as far as to have the little eyepiece around his neck and everything. But certainly, yeah, people on film sets love to wear jackets with lots of pockets and things like that. Well, either way, part of your Charlie Hustle comment is that, yes, he does throw himself into it, and he's still sort of faking it, and he's not the guy that maybe he wishes he was or that he thinks he is, but he still tries, and he keeps trying and keeps trying. So are we going to find out that the only thing he's really good at is when he's bending the rules and finding the loopholes? Is that why we see so many of these little things fail? Um and rather than make us think, well, he's not as competent as we thought, it's like, no, he's just being driven towards the one thing that he really will be competent at, which is finding the wiggle room, you know? Yeah, you could say he's competent at finding the wiggle room or incompetent at staying on the straight and narrow, you know, where other people would say, oh, well, this plan isn't working. I've got to just keep on, keep on trying, or I've got to uh, change to a new job. He says, okay, I can make this plan work if I break the rules a little. So you call that a weakness or a strength. Right. Which, again, in terms of drama, it's probably a strength either way. Right. At the end of this episode, what he did at the insurance company, I know you said you you felt that he got stymied and then he he improvised. Right. But he did go in without his policy number and and needing to look up by name when we know he's been on the phone with them several times. And somehow I just feel like there felt like something calculated in all of that. Like Jimmy wanted to have them discover the brother thing. It was a way of of Chuck's name coming up and him saying, no, that's my brother, and introducing that idea without seeming like he's just bringing that up. Right, right. That's possible, but I thought that that was the show telling us, here's where Jimmy finds out that this same company also covers Chuck. It plays well either way, but I think that if he did go in there with some idea of how to mess things up for Chuck or how to figure things out for Chuck, it still felt like a revelation in the middle of the scene when he starts breaking down. And a part of me really thought for a second 
maybe Jimmy's having this moment of confessing all of his shit to a stranger, you know? Yeah. But then, but then pretty quickly I was like, if Bob Odenkirk were playing this scene, it would be a little bit better. Like it would be a little bit more genuine. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be quite so self-pitying. And straight and perfectly pet and crying. Yeah. And then when he started fudging the truth, you know, half of what he said to the lady at the insurance company was true. And then the other half was not. Right. So as he starts to talk about Chuck switching the numbers and he starts to talk about, you know, his genuine feelings for Chuck, you start to realize he's only telling her what he needs to to make Chuck sound bad. Right. If he did think of that in the moment, then that was him sort of improvising a way to stick it to Chuck when he was feeling particularly uh, stuck himself. By Chuck. You know, he was feeling like, well, my premiums wouldn't have gone up if it, was, if it wasn't for, for Chuck. Right. So maybe that all happened in that moment. He just thought of a way to screw him and figured it out. And by, by being a con man... He conned his way into screwing Chuck. But it still is a dark turn. E you know, even if you don't... Um, oh, totally. If he, Even if he didn't go in and, and calculate it like you're thinking, that, that would be very, very dark. But this is still dark to say, here's a guy you just beat, and he's basically out of your picture right now, but you still are going to take the opportunity when you feel like something came back from him from the past that bit you to say, all right, I'll... I'll get him back for this, too. He seems to want to blame Chuck for everything mm -hmm. rather than taking any blame himself. Mm -hmm. And I, I also want to point out that when Chuck's not in an episode, he comes off awful nice. Yeah. But when we see him and hear him, we get those feelings about, oh, this guy's a prick. Mm -hmm. From Kim's point of view, it's a pity that Jimmy can't own up to his part of it and, and embrace going forward. Because I do think that might be the thing that closes her off, at least for the time being. Yeah. It's tragic. Yeah, it is. Did you want the show to be this sad? Well, uh, I guess I don't mind now that you asked me that because it's very rich and full of layers and things and moods and tones. So, yeah, I think it, it would be a lesser show uh, if, it, if it didn't have uh, that range of, of emotions. It doesn't really matter whether Jimmy went in with an idea of screwing Chuck or whether he thought of it in the, in the scene. It's still the same cynicism inside him taking over. Uh, do you think that that is one more thing that's going to have these amazing repercussions that are just going to reverberate and going to take it to the next level? Or do you think that was sort of an ending an episode with Jimmy feels like he just got one over and we're thinking less of him and boom. And now that's all we really need to know about that. Like that later, maybe it'll come up that, that Chuck's like, can you believe he did this? But do you think this ups the ante and takes them into the next level of warfare? Or do you think this was just a little sort of closed, almost like a sketch that tells us how Jimmy can continue to be uh, vindictive? That's an interesting question. I did feel like it was just a sketch to show you um, very clearly um, Kim is totally done with this. She's even a bit regretful of how far they had to go to stop Chuck. Whereas Jim is uh, on the other side of the fence. He'll even keep doing things to, to Chuck if uh, if he feels the least bit wrong. So that's just a, a great definition of the, of the separation of their attitudes. But you're right. It does totally seem like the kind of thing that would come back so, you know, it could be five episodes from now. Chuck is getting back on his feet. He's even getting over his allergies, and he's going back to work, and he's figuring out that his— malpractice insurance went up by a lot and then somehow figures out that Jimmy had to do with it and now their feud is back in the forefront of the show again. We've got three episodes left in the season. There's going to be a two-week break. There's no episode next Monday, so this podcast will also be taking a break. But I 
I sort of feel like we're now in a headlong rush. I think Jimmy will stop short of doing any real nefarious deeds. Because if he gets involved in some other plot that gives him more to do than just fume over Chuck or fret over his finances, some of these concerns might back burner a little bit. It might just be that we proceed with this new notion of him. Yeah. As much as we talk about Chuck's ego, I think Jimmy's is just as capable of tripping him up. But he's still likable when he's telling a uh, a guy at the recliner store how to uh, relate to the camera and everything. Uh, you know, we love to watch him hustle. With that, I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts before we go? I think we uh, covered uh, everything I wanted to cover. You think we schnauzed it? Schnauzed. All right, hot talk. Hot talk. Hot talk.